Welcome to episode 134 of the Bitcoin Podcast. I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey. What's up, guys? What up? Cello is under the weather, so he can partake today. Um, yes, but we're going to pour one out for him. Yeah, he's not feeling too hot. Thanks, babies. Mm, that's what babies do. Anyways. We're going to get these ads out of the way so you guys can get to some goodies. So today's episode is brought to you by Honey Nut Cheerios. I'm kidding. I'm, I always do that. I'm not going to do this. Time. Today's episode is brought to you by Athena Bitcoin. Um, they do Bitcoin ATMs all over the place, right? Yep. If you want to get some Bitcoin out of an ATM, you want to use Athena Bitcoin. Now, they're located all over the place. I know for sure mostly North Texas, some on the East Coast. Um, if you go to their website, then you can check out all those locations and use those Bitcoin ATMs or BTMs, whatever you want to call them, right? And we're also brought to you by BitQuick, Athena's portfolio company. What do they do? It's like get, if you where there's, a, where there's a bank, there's BitQuick. That That's not how line. it goes. Yeah. Where there's a That's bank, the tagline. Yeah. Where there's a bank, there's big quick, or there's the jingle that's like it's big quick. Get your bits quick. That's the thing that they are running now. That um, cello that that the D made. Yeah, yeah, I did. Gonna be catchy one day. So those are our ads. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's it. it to this week. Yep. That's it for the ads. Dina Bitcoin, big quick. Go check them out. Um, I hope they're not listening to this episode. They're going to be like, what kind of shit is this? This is what we're paying for? This is what you pay for. Yep. Go listen to the other ads. We're going to talk about some stuff today. So, firstly, thank you to you guys who listen who are giving us kind of like things that we can center our thoughts around throughout the week and look at, uh, engage with. And yeah, through say, Corey's hashtag, hashtag. I'd say that hashtag, Corey is the shit, was it was a success. People gave us some ideas yeah, hashtag, what to talk about. Some of them are going to take some time for me to flesh out. People are like, you can yeah, do a synopsis of, on all white papers in the space. It's not going to happen. Yeah, on every anytime single soon. white paper. It's not going to happen yeah. anytime soon. Maybe I can do a new <laughs> show where I just I just go through a white paper. Why don't I'll you do, go through do, the... It's called, it's called hash, doing due diligence for you. <laughs> Corey, should we change it so we don't get that old? We got a little bit of the old hashtag in there. And I was really confused at some of the conversations. Should we say like TBP Corey is the shit? No, you gotta have right. those things. 
Oh yeah, we accidentally. Apparently, Corey is the shit was a hashtag that was used back in back in March, November two thousand eleven. Yeah, November two thousand eleven. Then there's March. Then there's going to be a record year, and then there's April twenty third. I don't know why people are using this. So here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. So Joe at Joel Corey underscore. You said um you know you'd like to see us talk about the shortage of AMD cards and how discussing the positives of Nvidia mining, right? So we're gonna shelve that one because we didn't really have enough time to go through and research we need to do some research on that one uh and also at m rewers merrick rewers uh we're gonna shelve the technical side on coding and solidity because we feel like we need a little bit more details on that one um just to let you know that we see what you're doing and thank you we did get two though that we're gonna talk about rewers was the was one ten bitcoin for that one as I think originally said, I forgot about it at first, but I originally said first person to do it gets $10 in Bitcoin. Wait, so then we should talk about it. No, no we'll talk You've about it. You've coded Solidity before, right? Didn't you build the um, like raffle app? Yeah, but I'd like to flesh out so I can give a, a proper introduction slash idea of what how Solidity works with the Ethereum virtual machine, and what the point of it is, so on and so forth, what its limitations may be. Stuff like that, which I can talk about, but I will just kind of ramble, rather put my thoughts in order. All right. Um, in that case, the two things that we are going to discuss, and then we're going to go into today's interview, where all three of us got to get in on it. It's Jeremy Epstein again. Uh, we're having these monthly marketing um, shows. Uh, we really like them because I think that marketing is something that this entire community has slept on for for its entire existence. And now it's becoming blatantly, not blatantly, but very, very obvious that marketing is going to be essential to how we move forward and this thing getting to mass adoption, which is what we always preach about. Yep. So we're going to have those monthly marketing episodes. Um, this one was weird because we, we got into talking about ourselves a lot. Sorry about that. <laughs> we usually don't do that, but it happened. Um, but as you as these come on, we'd appreciate your input and your feedback so that we can know how to kind of try and take that mass adoption thing that we preach and start practicing it. So anyways, there's something I want to talk about, Corey, mm -hmm. uh, and that's demographics and how they suck so bad in Bitcoin. When I say they suck so bad, it's like it seems it's a very obvious I can look at a person on the street and know exactly if they're going to be in the Bitcoin or not. Like, can you? You know what I mean? Can you? Yeah, man. I probably can. I take anyone who looks like one of the dudes off of that Silicon Valley show on HBO. And then, except make all, all of them white. <laughs> not that bad. I'll take the Indian guy out. and then not take that bad. It's not. Tell no. me what you've seen. You've been to a conference. Tell me the, the reality. Of was, I mean, don't get me wrong. Okay, so I don't know. It's it's the tech industry, uh -oh, and it's see. it's more. It's, it's, oh, it's you making excuses? More exacerbated than the tech industry. These these are natural. These are natural things, right? Like I don't know. It also depends on where you are in the world. Like go to go to Dubai, then pick up a bunch of white dudes in crypto. Did you say Dubai? Dubai. Oh, okay. Like there's there's these blockchain Bitcoin tech industries all around the world. And guess what? They're not all white. 
everyone around the world is white. And it's like, China's, go, go to China. They got white dudes in Bitcoin. It's just you're, you're, well, you're, you're looking around for people in your, in your community. Like, and where you live, if you're, I, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say. Like, I feel like because it's the tech industry, there's a certain amount of like, lack of demographic in the tech, tech industry to start with. Okay. And then when you add speci- specialty, a more esoteric subculture of that culture itself, then you further increase the lack of demographic because only certain types of people get into this from the tech industry who are only certain types of people who get into the tech industry. Is it always going to be this hopeless um, here in the States anyways? Is it, do you feel like it's always... So let's I take it at the tech industry level, right? I read yeah. the statistic. Whenever you log on to Windows nowadays, it gives you these cool random statistics with a very random background. So I think it was like feathers was the background, but the statistics that was bold was only 6.7% of women get a STEM degree in the U.S. Okay, why is that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, right? So there's 93.3% of women are like, nah, I'm not into that STEM shit stuff. Well, from my experience going through engineering classes, physics classes, math classes, so on and so forth, there is there is a lack of yeah. women in the space. I'll say that, you know, there's there's definitely less women than men in the STEM fields. Just based See, on my, my personal experience. There was like a third. In my math classes, like a third of the people in there were women. There's a lot of women in chemistry. <laughs> Some I, sort of I, joke was, in there, but I don't was, know why I made that, that weird part of my, That was part of my experience. Like there was way more women in chemistry than there was in physics. There's a lot of women in biology too. Those are STEM fields. I I think people try and make something out of nothing because they want to feel underrepresented, or if they are underrepresented, like what does it matter? Like, do they, are they are they being treated differently? I don't know personally because I'm I'm a white male, so I don't have I don't feel these things. Yeah, what happens when you get pulled over? Nothing. You don't fear for your life ever. That's not a thing I've ever feared. Ever. I just, okay. I was like, hey, man, here's my license. And he's like, all right, you were speeding. I was like, yeah, I know. Right, here's your ticket. Thanks, fucker. And then we move on. I actually have a backup suit and tie that I can put on really quickly. <laughs> and I have a sign that I can <laughs> attach to my window. There's no guns. Sorry about the taillight. I have to reach into my glove box. Please let me do that. Is that, that's, that's a real no, thing. But you still like worry. Yeah, but we're getting way off topic. I don't want to go into that discussion. I could talk about that for eons. Well, it's the same um, discussion. It's, it's the exact same discussion, right? It's like, is it? People like I have had a cop demographic problem when I got pulled over. Yes. What's the demographic problem? It's 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 everything, right? It's not just Bitcoin. Like there's a lack of whatever and whatever. People are going to find a lack in something. Too. Who cares? Just represent I care yourself. About oh wait, you're t- we're talking about two different things. Yeah, represent yourself. That's all you got to do. Come, come, come to the game with skills, and yeah. people will respect that. Or at least they should. If they don't respect that, then don't hang around those people because they're pieces of shit. Yep, pieces of doo doo. 
And and so I like where you're going with that. It's like it doesn't matter what the demographic states. Demographic is a very fancy word. Usually helps psychologists do something or statisticians do something else. But in the reality, you got to represent yourself, right? You show, like you said, show up to the game with your skills and start draining three-pointers or get off the court. Well, and nowadays you're draining three-pointers. It was back in my days, it was taking people to the to the hole and if you were capable of it, dunking on them and putting I think your that was, I think that was called them on their forehead. Going hard in the paint. I think that's what yeah, the you go, phrase was. You go hard in the paint. And then <laughs> it got lazy over the years and turned into hard as a motherfucker. And then it got even lazier than that. And people just say ham. I'm going ham. So anyways, we got a little off topic. Demographics, right? So apparently there's a lot of white dudes. A lot of white dudes with good jobs, um, not very many women at all, not very many uh, darker-skinned individuals, not very many anyone else. But that's just for you look at it as surface value, right? So just for whoever wrote into the show and they said, you know, can you guys talk about demographics and how they have an effect? I, I tend to lean on Corey's court or team leaning to Corey's team on this one that you're already looking at a subset of the population anyways, very techie stuff. Like, let me tell you something about it. Here's a, here's an honest reality. If you go to the bar and you start talking about new fancy tech that's coming out, you're probably not going to, you know, when you offer to buy that girl a drink, she's probably going to say no because it's not sexy. (laughs) It's just not. And so it's a very like, I don't know, like dudes get real geeky about tech tech, but I haven't seen like a lot of women that get geeky about it. Maybe I'm hanging around the wrong crowds, but I'll tell you I mean, what. Just a, I mean, what's up? Now that this is becoming more mainstream and it's becoming part of like the the standard vernacular, people have heard about Bitcoin. Most people nowadays, when you go out, people have yeah, heard about it. They don't know what it is. They don't know how it works. They know that there's people are making money off of it. As it becomes That's more a, regular, you're going to see more yeah. of the standard demographic represent, representation percentages get into this, right? It'll become more of like the like this the general population demographic, yeah, because everyone's hearing about it, and then adding in whatever experience or skill set that they have. Because previously, when this all started, you couldn't do anything in Bitcoin unless you were a nerd and technical geeky kind of guy that got it. Like you had to have the knowledge and previous skill set to even understand how to interact with it or use it or code software to take advantage of it, so on and so forth. But as we've built all this infrastructure and all of these projects are starting up that need different types of skill sets like it's becoming too big for a few people to do to add anything to the space or like do anything new they'll they'll get laughed at because there's so much legitimate projects going on you need to have a real good team with a diversification of labor and skill sets and so people who previously couldn't get into this because they didn't have the right kind of skill set can now start to get into the space because we need marketers we need business development we need ux ui design like uh, we need financial 
people. We need like secretaries to take care of like executives. We need like all of the soft skills or things around the actual code or, or product like product in Bitcoin are now required if you want to start something. Probably I mean, as, as it grows or they can at least jump in and add something because people were like are now starting to value that type of stuff over just doing tech stuff. And because of that, you're going to start seeing the people who normally do that jump in, which aren't the geeky nerd demographic that people have always thought about Bitcoin. Hmm. So mass adop- mass adoption implies that implies that it's going to be way more than just the Silicon Valley's that are into this. It's going to be everyone. Everyone's going to get a shot to be involved in the space. So the demographic issue, in quotes, is a non-issue and which goes rolls all the way up to like our theme statement is that adoption is really the only thing that matters. And if you feel like it's an issue, come to the come to the table with your skills. And if they're not valued because of your race or skin tone or, or, or sex, then go somewhere else. There's plenty of places that are willing to accept you for what skills you have. If you have skills, if you don't, then, you know, go work on something, get good at something, then come yeah, to the table go, with your skills. Go, go get better at something. Yeah. Go do something. Yeah. But like if, but also there's this other side of the table that if you're, if you are a minority and you don't have any skills, don't blame your being a minority on not being included. Yeah, that's very true. You know what we should do? We should encourage everyone who feels that they're being disenfranchised by the Bitcoin community because of whatever reason. Come into the Slack. And if you've got skills, apply them to something that we want to do, one of our ideas. <laughs> or shoot your idea off of us and we'll tell you whether or not it's yeah. garbage or where it can go. And and We actually what... do that quite frequently, actually. We have so far. People bounce actually, ideas off actually, of us. Actually. We don't have the time to do them. We can tell you whether or not what you got is something worth worthwhile looking into. Definitely. I think some of the stuff we can have time to help on. We're like, we're quasi consultants. I don't have time. I barely have time to, to do what I'm doing now. Maybe we should make time for our dreams, Corey. Well, we are. We're doing this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, that was supposed to be a moment. I thought you were going to cry with me. Nope. <laughs> we are. We've been doing it for a couple of years now. <laughs> That was a weird chucky laugh. Okay. Anyways, we um we got a, we got a pretty good interview here with Jeremy Epstein again. I was able to attend. I haven't been in an interview in a long time. It felt great to get the old chops warmed up. I think I did okay. I it's been it. a long time since I did an interview. Um, I do a couple for Block Channel here and there because the timing works out. It's usually on the weekend. Um, but man, it felt great. Um, I think Jeremy's a really bright guy. I think he, having a marketer, let me see here. I think having a marketer with his kind of, I don't know, it seems like, I hate to use this word because it seems like really fluff, but like gravita. Seems like a really magnetic person and really fun to be around. So as a marketer, that's kind of like a basic skill. And he's hella got that. Like he took that very easy to learn, hard to master skill, and he's completely mastered it. I'm sure you've heard two episodes from him. This is the third. Um, 
what's his his company's called? Never stop marketing. Never stopping. Never stop. Never stopping. Never stop. Never stopping. No, no. Never stop marketing. Uh, so, um, here it is. Hey, so coming back to the show for a third time is uh, Jeremy Epstein from Never Stop Marketing, which provides blockchain marketing, consulting, and uh, a lot of speaking engagements. Uh, so we like to have him on quite frequently because we always learn a lot. And uh, thanks for uh, coming on the show so frequently. We appreciate it. Dude, it's my honor. You guys are the best. I'm happy to be here. Ooh, I like to hear that. <laughs> Who the best? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I read I read your blog pretty regularly, and um, we've tried to get the Tapscots on the show, and it was hard. So <laughs> we weren't that successful. So, uh, you know, I want to say congrats with working with them, uh, with their uh, research institute. I'm a little bit in the dark about what they do, so I, I wanted to know maybe if you could go into that partnership and kind of what it entails. Yeah, sure. By the way, before I should say thank you for jumping in on that LinkedIn debate yesterday where you were defending me. I felt a little attacked and you jumped in, I think, and you're like, this is ridiculous. So we'll talk about that later. I'm anyway. just bringing a, a little bit of common sense to, to, yeah, exactly. to the we'll talk. We'll, we'll give some context <laughs> later, but I did want to express my gratitude for that. But let's get to the Tapscots. So what the Tapscots are really yeah. good at, I think, there are many things, but one of them is they are sort of a, uh, a voice uh, about new technology, particularly blockchain, to sort of more traditional enterprise uh, audiences. So if you're going in to talk to the C-level people at a Fortune 1000 company, um, you know, they're not going to call the four of us. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, and they're like, you guys are like too radical, whatever. But that's where they call the Tapscots, right? They'll say, guys, come in. And those guys are have, you know, they have gravitas, right? They have like, uh, they, they know how to speak the level of the C-suite. But what they try to do, and I think they do very well, is they say, guys, um, this thing's a really big deal, but I'm going to put it to you in terms that really resonate with you as opposed to let's just talk about distributed peer-to-peer -peer networks and how cool this thing is and hash rates. Like, we don't care about that. Let me talk about the existential threat to your business uh, in, a, in a meaningful way. And I think they've done an amazing job. They have a, a best-selling book, Blockchain Revolution. So anyway, now they've started this thing called the Blockchain Research Institute, and what they're investigating is like – seven different verticals like oil and gas, financial services, et cetera, and, and, a, and about seven different horizontals like HR and sales and finance and marketing. And it's like, how is blockchain, how is the arrival of blockchain or decentralizing technologies going to affect each of these verticals and each of these horizontals? So, you know, fortunately at the moment, there's not really too many other people thinking about the intersection of blockchain and marketing as a discipline. So we started to chat and they were like, you know what, we need someone to write and own this section of what does marketing in a blockchain world look like. Um, and so they asked me if I would do it. And for me, it's a huge, huge honor. Um, and I'm very excited about it. So now I actually have to figure out what it's going to be. But that's the old delivery part. But at least for now, but it'll take me a while because it's, it's so big, as you guys well know. But thank you. It's exciting. What are some of your, what have been some of your like first steps in trying to define what that is? A great question. I mean, I think there are, there are sort of two phases and I think you guys probably see this in a lot. Like, I think what happens first for big companies is they're going to say, okay, well, how do we take blockchain and just attach it to our existing business processes? Like, like 
20 years ago when the internet first came out, everyone was like, oh, let's do corporate intranets. Like, that's super sexy. And that was like the rage for two years in the late 90s was all about intranets. And it's like, fine, do your intranets, but that's not where the sexy stuff happens. The sexy stuff is Facebook and Uber and all that stuff. Blockchain, I think, is going to be the same thing. So the first they're going to say is, okay, well, how do we use blockchain, for example, to make our advertising more efficient? Because right now, digital advertising is just a wasteland of inefficiency. There are so many middlemen from the actual advertiser to the publisher. I saw one study that for every dollar you spend, you only get 44 cents of value by the time all the middlemen have taken their little piece along the way. Throw in the fact there are all these fraud bots and everything. It's a total mess and people don't know what's happening. So blockchain is an obvious solution. And they're the first wave of companies like, Meta X is building this thing called AdChain. MadHive is attacking sort of digital TV transmissions. Um, who am I forgetting? Oh, there's this New York interactive exchange, uh, advertising exchange. They're building a solution. So there are a bunch of these first wave of, of advertising solutions that are basically, they're going to try to disintermediate, disintermediate all of these DSPs and agencies who don't necessarily add a ton of value. Um, but all, and also create a lot of inefficiencies. And there's a real lag in reporting. There's not a lot of transparency and it becomes a problem. So that's first wave. Then the second wave is, okay, what happens when these blockchain like native companies show up? Protocols based, not even companies, organizations. What happens when protocols come up that don't have the existing infrastructure? Well, as you guys know, because all of you, everyone on this, it's so great to talk on a podcast where Everybody has Bitcoin. That doesn't always happen, but it's nice to hang out with you guys. We can talk about how like bad Kraken's interface is, for example. Not that <laughs> it's like a joke that like 12 people get, but you guys do. Um, although we love Kraken, totally great, whatever, but could use a little love on the UX front. Um, but as token, as token holders, it's a different model for marketing. Like you don't have to advertise for Bitcoin. That's crazy. You, the four of us are, you know, are Bitcoin promoters or whatever, you know, Steam or pick your token. Like you're naturally incentivized. Well, think about like, you know, I have a, you know, Nike shoes. Like am I naturally incentivized to get more people to own Nikes? No, I don't really care. But I am naturally incentivized to have more people buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, Ether. I mean, it's a very different model. And I think marketers are gonna have to think about, well, okay, I used to have to like tell people how great I am. Now I have to think about how do I add utility to this protocol into this token so that people are naturally motivated to be like evangelists, which is what exactly what you guys are doing. So those are just a couple thoughts. There's loyalty, there's content. I mean, it's going to take forever, but I'm going to do my best to take the first whack at it. Yeah, that's something I that's, that's really uh, interested. Uh, interesting kind of where that. So based on what you just said, your job is to try and stop doing the things that marketers have been doing to latch on to the emergent behavior associated with previous corporations because n the new way of doing business will have new new types of emergent social behavior which won't really work with traditional advertising so it's your job to try and find out how do you get companies to market themselves appropriately and that's that's that eases in to the way people will start naturally interacting with this technology I mean, you said it better than I did. Do you want to write the chapter for me? Because that'd be great. Like, that's My rate <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, I probably can't afford you, but that's good to know. But yeah, I think you're right. But I think what's going to happen in big companies is like, first, they're going to say, okay, 
let me just do things more efficiently. And that's fine. They should. They'll save a lot of money. And what big companies have now over, you know, any protocol is they have brand recognition. They have customers. They have trust. They have a business. They have money, although these days everyone who starts an ICO has more money than God. So maybe that's not true. But they have all this and they have scale and, and, and global reach, many of them. That should be leveraged. So what I, I would be concerned about if I was dealing with a big company is don't just be excited that you got some back-end efficiencies because you implemented a blockchain-based solution to do something better. Because if you just wait, then all the protocol people, I call them the barbarians on the far edges of the Roman Empire, they don't quite have their act together yet. But once they do, they're coming in to Rome and they're not looking for tourist visas. They want to burn it to the ground and take your women and children. So you should really start thinking about it now before things get out of control. Like, don't be like, hey, we saved a lot of money on our advertising spend. That's not enough. It's a good step. Do that. But get ready for this wave of disruption. Think about the next set of Facebooks and Ubers and Twitters and all those people who are coming along who don't have your existing legacy infrastructure. Like, that's kind of my message for these guys. And that's from, as a marketer, capital M marketing, when you think about who's our market, how do we differentiate, how do we create a value proposition, that's the marketer's job is to see these competitive threats and prepare for them before you get crushed. So I'm sort of on this, I don't want to call it a jihad necessarily, but call it a calling, I guess. Hmm. I um, My takeaway from what you said is that it seems like companies need to shift, like you said, the shift from the, hey, this is how awesome my product is. It's so shiny and nice to kind of building a community around what they're doing and have people like truly buy into what they're doing as opposed to buy what they're selling. Uh, God, you guys, I'm literally, thank God this is being recorded because I'm just going to take this all and put this right into the chapter. <laughs> you, you, you nailed it. Like, that's exactly right. It's such a different model. Like, it's like I'm buying in with my belief. Now, let's leave the speculators out for now, but you're buying in with your belief. And like, I think what we're going to have are... Let me take a step back. Like if you looked at, especially at, like maybe it's died down a little bit, but in the immediate aftermath of the U.S. election, think about the number of articles or people who said, you know, I'm not buying from Nordstrom because they canceled Ivanka Trump, or I'm not buying from these guys because they support, you know, Hillary or Trump or whoever. Like people want to spend their money in places that align with their core values, right? Well, that's, I think it's going to happen is you're going to have a core values, a set of values that you believe in, and you're going to start buying into these protocols that actually align with those values. Like Bitcoin represents, like, I'm tired of being screwed over by banks. You know, like I always tell people, like, the number of Argentinians per capita who are in Bitcoin is mind-blowing when you first think about it. But then if you really take a step back, you're like, no, they're really tired of having had their government screw them over twice in 12 years. So for them, they're like, sorry, the value is I don't trust the government to protect the value of our, our money. So I'm going to go do something else. And for them, Bitcoin represents that value. And I think, you know, Dimitri, you nailed it, man. It's like, it's not what you say you are. It's who you are. It's how you act. It's what you believe. And I want to align myself and I'm going to buy in. And if I find other people who buy into that, the value of the tokens will go up for everybody. So more of that belief will be spread into the world and I'll be better off financially at the same time. It's a win-win. Well, uh, well, let's use our like podcast as like a specific example. 
because earlier this week you you kind of sent us a questionnaire, but the thing that got me excited was the topic about demand gen. So usually you work with sales to agree on like funnel definitions, but we don't have a sales team and we don't have those building blocks in place. So how would a podcast such as ours get like the conversions that we need? That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, you know, my like, so when I think about classic definitions of marketing, like I go back to one guy named Peter Drucker. I probably mentioned him before. I'm going to keep mentioning him. He says the aim of marketing is to know the customer so well that the product or service sells itself. Okay. Another more sort of like uh, flip way of saying this is I call it brands worth sleeping out for, right? Think how many brands you know of where people will sleep out for the product or the service, like like iPhones, right? Classic example. Grateful Dead concerts. You know, the, if you're a sneakerhead, which I think Marcel, are you a sneaker guy? I can't remember. Somebody. I'm not. No. You should. <laughs> we be. have one. You should be. Um, I got. Yeah. Anyway, but like think like I remember I was walking in Manhattan once and I saw like 150 people like sleeping out at 11 o'clock at night. Like, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, there's a certain type of shoe being released tomorrow. I was like, okay. Now, when the people walk into the Apple Store the next morning, they don't have to have a conversation of like, let me tell you about um, how much storage is on the phone, how fast the processor is, and how many megapixels. They're already sold. They're like, give me 10. You know. Why did that happen? The reason why that happened is Apple and Nike and Red Bull and and the Grateful Dead and a few like very elite brands, they spend so much of their time trying to understand the minds of their customers, right? Both the active needs that people say, oh, it'd be great if I could actually take a picture with my phone or whatever, and the latent needs, the needs that they don't even know that they have. Like 10 years ago, nobody actually thought they needed a smartphone, right? But Jobs and his genius was able to like, intuit that. So what I would say for you guys is you have a phenomenal community. The reason I know that is because people keep telling me, Jeremy, I heard you on the Bitcoin podcast. This is great. I'm like, okay, there's a lot of activity out there. What I think that the value for you is how do you learn more about the people who listen? How do you like, what is it that motivates them? Why do they listen to you? I mean, you guys offer a lot of really interesting insights. Sure, but you know, sometimes you'll sort of go all over the place and you'll talk about everything. Fine, maybe that's what they like. Why is it that the, the guy who founded a Toyota, Mr. Toyota, he used to have this thing called Five Whys. Like, why do you do this? Why? And keep asking people why five times because that was the way he figured out what was the real core reason. Because if you ask people, oh, why'd you buy this product? Like, oh, it's the cheapest. Oh yeah, why is that important to you? Oh, uh, and it's actually not the price; it's something else. So I would enc- encourage you guys to figure out mechanisms that you can really start to elicit and extract what is those core motivations. And a lot of times the people who listen, who are listening right now, they don't even know. They're just like, oh, I kind of like this podcast. These guys are good or they're funny or they're entertaining or I like the fact that they all have facial hair. I don't know, whatever it is. You know, maybe it's like I'm biased towards people with facial hair. So I shouldn't even be on this call. But, you know, so I would, I would encourage you, like, how do you build that? Because if you could do that, then you could say, all right, now I know how to create content Maybe I should have Jeremy on every day, or maybe I should never have Jeremy on. Like, or maybe once a month is too much, or maybe it's not enough, whatever. But if you have a much better under, I mean, you guys sort of intuitively understand, like, okay, there are people out there who want to talk about book and whatever. But I think this is part of like, what is it that we believe in? What's our unique niche within the market? Because there are other great podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. But the people who choose to listen to us, you know, they're spending their drive time, they're on their treadmills, whatever they're doing right now as they listen to this, 
why of the bajillion channels right now that they could choose from, why did they choose you guys? And then I would keep asking why, why, why? And I bet you that if you do that, you will start to find like these diamonds that are deep now in the mine that you need to extract, pull out, clean up, polish up, and then set on the ring. You'll be like, okay, that's what it, that's how we create something that's remarkable, unique, differentiated. It's a podcast worth sleeping out for. And if you do that, my friend, you don't need a sales force. That's uh, yeah, I was go ahead, Jello. Uh, I didn't have a question, but just a follow up. Like I always like to study uh, Martin Luther King, his speech. You know, he didn't have social media, he didn't have you know flyers or a street team or anything, but he somehow convinced a quarter million people to show up for his speech and his march. And that's it's always fascinating to me that I, I think people believed in his why so much. That's how he was able to do that. Yeah, he was he's he's an amazing marketer. I mean, he basically he did what very few people do like if you talk to all i would bet that of the other you know when you talk to a, a protocol creator or something they talk about here's what this protocol does here how it's better it's you know proof of stake proof of work whatever it doesn't matter but they don't talk about the why mm-hmm. why do you do this why is this important to you what's motivating you and yeah. what king did is he's like look i mean it's cliche he's like i have a dream that's why he's doing this i have a dream of this future where my kids are gonna live like that's why I'm doing it. That's why I'm willing to sit in the Birmingham jail or whatever it is. We were actually just yeah. at a household in Atlanta um, on my kids. It was amazing. If you are near there, it's really, really powerful. The house was okay, but the historic site was great. Anyway, but in that, you, you learn about him as a kid, and you learn about what were sort of the influencing factors on his, like his family and his father and all these things. It's really interesting because most of the time you hear about him as an adult. Here he's like 0 through 12. But you see how he formed. But a lot of these values and this purpose, you know, he is motivated by purpose and great marketers are motivated by purpose. They're not motivated. Let me just go make a lot of money. They're Mm -hmm. like, I'm motivated by purpose. And if I stay true to my purpose and my goal and my vision, the money's going to follow. And that's what's hard for a lot of people because we're so freaking materialistic. I have. uh, uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. After that, I have something I want to follow up with that that changes this discussion. You sure? Yeah. You are you, you're gonna forget though because cello you, you let cello go. <laughs> I was just gonna say you know right to add on with that is that when you were saying you know trying to really figure out who the listener is. I think in our industry that we talk about that we're passionate about, it's even more difficult because it's the decentralized. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's different microcosms of different people in this industry for different reasons. <clears throat> and so the way I like to think of how we've kind of trumped that you know whack-a-mole game of trying to figure out who to appeal to is we just kind of appeal to ourselves and we have that why that we're all going for and we all three know and that we keep that one thing constant and then different people from different you know microcosms i'll use that word again just kind of get siphoned into that because you know we can't keep changing our appeal because there's 50 percent of bitcoin of people right now that want Bigger blocks. There's 50% of people in Bitcoin right now that want SegWit and two megabyte. There's, I don't know, it's totally random. But I think kind of what has helped us is just saying, hey, this is what we're going to be about every single week, week in and week out. And whoever comes can join along. So, I mean, a lot of what you said makes, first, I want to call you out for using the word Trump and actually not laughing when you said that because 
you know, I always have like I feel like it's been you can't you can't say the word oh I got that trumps this or that anymore. So thank you for proving me wrong on that. I feel much better now. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think on the you make a very good point. Like there is definitely value in hey, would I listen to this part podcast? Like if you're not going to listen to it, it's a waste. Like when I did events back in my previous life at Sprinkler, like we never had slides or we never did a product demo about our company. We would always invite other people to talk and people would come up there and be like, Jeremy, I just had a half day event that your company sponsored and you didn't actually tell us anything about your product. You didn't show us your product. And I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> the point of this event wasn't to ram the product <laughs> down your throat. The point of this event was to build community, was to educate you, was to build trust. If we have that, then when you call me, which you will, to say, show me your product, my sales guys will be more than happy to show up and show you the product and we'll do it then. But I said, I don't ever want to uh, put on an event that I don't want to go to because most of them are boring and I don't want to sit through 45 minutes of boring slides. So why would I make anyone else do that? That's silly. So I like that. At the same time, the, uh, a challenge for people is to remember when it comes to marketing, you're not the market, right? And so you have to kind of continuously remember that there are other people out there. And I, and I would, Go a little bit further. I like the way you're thinking. You're right. Half the people want bigger blocks. Half the people want it. That's fine. But that's sort of this, the surface stuff. Below that, there's something that all these people believe. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in Bitcoin. They wouldn't be in crypto. Like now, a lot of people are coming in because they're like, oh, I can make money. Fine. But a lot of the people, especially most of those people aren't listening to this podcast. And that's fine. But the people, maybe they are. We should change that. My bad. I'll just assume they are. But... <laughs> I think there's like, again, that's the first why, you know, the five whys. I don't mm -hmm. know why people listen to this podcast and that's, that's okay. But the, the question is when you get listener comments, when you get these emails, when you get people who are like, okay, why, did, why did you like this show versus that show? Why, why, why? It just, it's so hard because as marketers and I'm guilty of this, like we love to tell people about stuff, but the really great marketers, they listen they just listen a lot. They ask a ton of questions and they listen and then they put like, patterns together and they're like oh i have an insight and that's where it comes from so mm -hmm. it does appeal to you but why does it appeal to you and why does it appeal to other people and there's some i think my hypothesis is there's a overlapping kind of complementary thing that if you're like if you can nail that you're like this is the eternal element of why people like yes hopefully this whole block size debating ends and we can go on and continue changing the world and we don't have a disaster come august 1st that would suck but let's get by that. You're like, okay, what's the eternal thing? Like great brands, and you guys are trying to build a great brand. Great brands have an eternal element to them. It doesn't change every six months or year or five years. It's eternal. And like you have to be able to articulate that. It's hard. It's really, it's a given birth. Not that any of us have familiarity with that, but it's really difficult, you know? And so I would encourage you to just challenge your assumptions, take yourself out of the equation and say, okay, yeah, I, I don't want to be on a boring podcast because then I have no passion for it. That's fine. And maybe it is the same reason, but come at it with the beginner's Zen mind and listen to the people who, who spend your time. Because you could, you didn't need to do a podcast. The three of you could just get together and just chat once a week about stuff and you'd have as much fun. There's something motivating you. And as evidenced by the fact that people are listening, there's some value for people right now. And they're spending their time and they're downloading and that's great. What is it? Why? Why are they doing that? Again, they have a bajillion choices and they're choosing you. And that's huge. But 
I want to pull it. Mm-hmm. I want you to pull it back. And once you get that insight, then you're like, oh, and that t- it takes work. What do you guys think, Corey Cello? Is it because we have these velvety voices and they just like hearing that come out of their sound speakers? Nope. The sound speakers a thing. No. I don't. That's have not a velvety it. voice. <laughs> yeah, yours is more like felt. Nope. It's a felt. <laughs> yeah, it's a felt voice. It's because we're cool. <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to <laughs> kind of take this conversation and and turn it back into this token model because because of this space is so heavily driven by the why. I think the majority of the core people who are in this space got into it because it appealed to what they're looking for in the world. And I almost feel like it's the, the trend that's happening right now is pushing towards projects that are taking advantage of that and building things that are heavily appealing to the why and capturing this audience without having solid business fundamentals to back it up yet. And if the trend continues, this, this behavior of placating to people's ideology for money gets worse and worse and worse. Is that, is that something that you see as well? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, look, the why is necessary, but it's not sufficient. You know, you still have to have, I think you still need to have solid business fundamentals, business execution, you know, all of the classic stuff, but what differentiate, this is kind of a unique market because most people start off just building stuff and they struggle for the why. Here, a lot of people come up with the why. They don't have, like, they put out their white paper, like, oh, I can raise $150 million. You know, good for you. Um, <laughs> I would be surprised. You know, I think everybody's kind of saying, like, at some point, this thing course corrects. And maybe what happened this week already with Bitcoin and, and Ether is like a semi course correction. It was kind of nasty. It's up. I know it's, well, it went, <laughs> Bitcoin went, I know it's back, but this thing yeah. grew so quickly. So, yeah. you know, I'm I'm fine if the course corrections one day. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, who knows? But like at some point, the ICO model of you're raising your, you know, I'm sorry. Like I love the idea of a prediction market, but there's no planet where I think Gnosis is worth three million, three billion dollars. I'm sorry, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know, so I think at some point. And maybe because I saw this in Internet 1.0, a lot of people selling big vision, big why, raising ridiculous, like Boo.com. Do you guys remember Boo.com? Probably not. They raised $150 million, and you know how much of an impact they made in the long term? None. They're like a footnote in Wikipedia now. Okay? It's Mm -hmm. a joke, right? And you're going to have a lot of these. Because remember, we're in like a 20 to 30 year transformation of epic proportions. So like, it's great that all these people are doing this stuff. And I'm sure there are going to be a bunch of people who walk away with a ton of money. Good for them, I guess. But at the end of the day, like, if that's the only reason you're here, okay, fine, go make your money. But if you really are like, no, I believe in this and I want to have a lasting impact and I want to do the proverbial, you know, put a dent in the universe and I don't want to be on my deathbed asking myself like, why did I like waste my entire life? I had a bunch of money, but I didn't make a difference and no one's going to remember me. Okay. <laughs> it seems pretty mm-hmm. empty. I think it's possible to do both, you know, but I think a lot of people now, it feels like, Hey, 
I can sell anything in this market because everybody and their mother, you know, I mean, the number of people asking me about like cryptocurrencies now, like I'm starting to get nervous. It's like, <laughs> dude, people who should not be asking me about this. Like I remember back in the late 90s, I was on the Long Island Railroad and there were these like 88 year old grandmothers behind me talking about like investing in like Lycos and Northern Lights, which were search engines mm -hmm. during the early like Internet one. And I'm like. And I remember thinking, okay, this is out of control now. If the grandmothers on the Long Island Railroad are speculating on internet IPOs about like the fifth and number six, you know, number five and number six search engine. And I feel like we're getting to that point. So whether it's another month, whether it's six months, whatever, you're going to have that point where it blows up. And then it'll come back down and you'll still need the why, but you'll also need the team, the ability to execute ability to focus and frankly that's what i look for like i'm very fortunate now that people come to me and they're like jeremy you know we want to you know market this thing and like we need to do an ico tomorrow blah 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 of course and fine i get that the thing i look for is not necessarily like you need to have the why but you also need to show that you have a team that can deliver because it's like who wants mm -hmm. to spend their time working on something that in six months is like oh that was a bad idea it was a joke they raised a lot of money but they didn't do anything like you feel empty like it's much more fun to, to deliver something of value and make money while you're doing it. I'm all in favor of that, be my guest. But does that answer your question, man? Yep, that pretty much nails it. Sometimes I get a little carried away, but you guys oh. know. We all get I carried away I would say, here. you know, <laughs> speaking of carried away, what do you guys think about making a token Beanie Baby, Beanie Baby coins? I mean, we could bring it back. There was a Beanie Baby craze. We could sell tokens that gives direct access to the Beanie Baby market that doesn't exist. Just build it back up. <laughs> uh, we could. I actually was really impressed by what Kick did. I think that that's probably one of the more fascinating yeah. things. You're talking about KIK? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was. Like, that's right, the first example of an actual company inverting their business model to a decentralized token. Like, to me, a lot of people are going to do that or they should do it. Like, I find that really really interesting so i think that's kind of cool like right now i'm looking for value i look for you know comp or projects where they're like we don't need to raise 200 million dollars right now like it's just not the way to do it like uh, full disclosure these guys i'm working with so take it with a grain of salt but there's one project i'm working with it's called d corp right it's d c o r p dot it they're doing their token sale right now again i'm involved with them so take it with a grain of salt you know because conflict of interest, whatever, but I want to be crystal clear about that. But what I'm really interested, what I really like about the way they're doing it is one, I like the vision, which is basically decentralizing the derivative markets that essentially the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is the largest derivatives market uh, in the world. And essentially they have, um, they have like three and a half billion dollars of revenue and one and a half billion of profit last year. And so D Corp's basically trying to decentralize that. So by my own logic, like somebody's going to figure out how to decentralize that. And the fact that they're saying, look, we're only going to try and raise 10 million. That shows to me a lot of discipline. It shows to me a lot of thinking like, look, we're going to raise 10 million, prove the next level. and We're going to go forward. And that's why I was like, this is the kind of guys I want to work with. Whether they do it or not, obviously we'll figure it out. But I like the fact that they're they put together a good team. They're going after a legitimate market opportunity opportunity that gets ripe for disruption. And they're showing some like, you know, sensibility. Like, we don't need $100 million right now. Let's get $10 million. Let's build this because they're playing the long game. So 
that's the kind of people who I think. So sorry for the plug there, but I think it's just a good example of what I think are the kinds of winners we're going to see emerge from this craziness that's kind of going on right now. Does that make sense, guys? It does. And but speaking of (laughs) that, Ophelia. Okay. So speaking of that, I got a question. So there's going to be winners. There's going to be losers. It's definitely following the characteristics of just hysteria sometimes when I see ICOs make, you know, ridiculous amounts of money in half an hour. It's kind of, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's just a stupid amount of money. So what's inevitably going to happen is this, I'm not going to say bubble because I hate that, but this hysteria is going to go away and there's going to be losers. There's going to be a fallout. Since we're talking about a new technology, how does the fallout of those companies and their tokens being terrible and not living up to their promise, not doing what they say they're going to do, going to affect the fever? How do you think it's going to affect the fever around Ethereum? Because there's a lot of I got people asking me on the daily from Facebook, people I haven't talked to since middle school. Hey, what's this Ethereum thing? I see you're into Bitcoin. What's Ethereum? And I'm like, man, that is a very large question to ask me. On Saturday afternoon, like chillax for a second, but so then I got to take them through Bitcoin. I got to take them through Ethereum. All they want to know is how do I get my hands on some? And I tell them, I'm like, hey, this this is yeah, this is how you get your hands on some. So then what happens is what what I'm fearful of is that there's all these newbies getting into crypto, and you know some of them are like, what is Monero? It looks so cool, and I'm like, man, you go down that road if you want to, but. (laughs) There's going to be companies that release these tokens and they're going to go bust. How is that going to reflect on Ethereum, you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think it's there are two, there are two parts, if I may. It's how does it reflect on Ethereum, but how does it reflect on sort of the decentralization trend overall? Like Ethereum, like let's take decentralization. Like these bubbles or these, sorry, you don't like bubbles. These hysteria moments, I'm trying to be sensitive. Um, my wife tells me to work on that, so apparently I have a long way to go. Um, these moments of hysteria are almost necessary for what happens next because all this money comes in, and that drives greater attention because as more entrepreneurs are like, wow, I can go make a living and build something there, a whole bunch of things happen. And so it, it serves as a magnet. So it ultimately, even though many of them blow up, what it does is it's it's uh, you know, a talented entrepreneur who's like, wait a second, I could do my business, but now I could do it decentralized. I didn't know. Like, you're going to find more and more people drawn to this space, which creates more opportunities. I mean, entrepreneurship is kind of like nature. If you take a step back and think, how does nature reproduce? Best example, like human reproduction is a perfect example of this, but dandelions is maybe something that's more kid friendly, right? So <laughs> dandelions release, you know, hundreds of seeds into the environment. Very low cost, very efficient to create. <laughs> Most of them don't make it, but a few of them do. Human reproduction is the exact same way, right? A lot goes into the environment. You only need one, right? That's what's happening in this. So, so this money creates the magnet or the vacuum for a lot of entrepreneurial ideas to come. Most of them won't make it, but it's the fact that so many have come that the law of large numbers almost says, that like, hey, you know what? I don't think it's the law of large numbers, but whatever it is that a few good ideas are going to make it. And 
those good ideas would not be there were it not for the fact that this hysteria had happened as a prerequisite. So I think that that's ultimately good. To me, the decentralization genie is out of the bottle, and this is a long-term play, and it might just, you know, it might either take 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, or 50 years, but the, the end game's inevitable. As far as Ethereum goes, that's a much bigger question. Like, I'm old enough now that I'm like, you know, whoever is the first technology doesn't necessarily mean they're the winning technology. You know, you see how, like, in, in 10 years, we might be doing our monthly Bitcoin podcast, and we might be talking about, oh, yeah, remember Ethereum back in the day? Like, those guys were hot, but they failed at scale or blah, blah, blah. And then this new thing, like, I just, like, IOTA with their Tangle or, you know, Nimic is doing their browser thing or whatever. You're like, okay, that was the way, or somebody's going to figure out how to do it on phones and lightweight devices or whatever. Like, Ethereum was a good sort of Gen 1 type stuff. So, I don't know. I don't know enough to say, and who knows how these things play out. I think the trend is solid. I'm investing my time and my money and my energy against the trend. It's really hard to pick a specific winner, but my belief is that the more innovators and entrepreneurs you have coming into the space, which are drawn by the hysteria, ultimately that's going to bring this decentralized future, which I want. And in fact, the mission of Never Stop Marketing is bring the decentralized future to the present as quickly as possible. That's ultimately a good thing. Does that answer your question? Yes. Do I need to I calm like that. down? Because I just sometimes not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, no. We like the internet. never. That's why you keep coming Never's back. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me uh, let me pick it back with what D said. If you take away money and reputation, and we're still talking about crowd sales and ICOs and tokens, do you feel that this is the best way to enable new business models for open source projects? <sighs> It's a great question. I mean, it's really fascinating, like the fact that now we have a way to monetize open source projects. Like, I think that that's that in and of itself is really, really, it's probably getting lost in how just freaking cool that is. Um, so I think that's that's really neat. I mean, as far as like, you know, the the you said take away the ICOs and the token sales. I missed the last part. I'm blanking here. What was the second part of your question, man? Like, is this the best way oh, for yeah. open source projects? Sorry, see what happens is Friday. If you take away all the money and the <laughs> reputation and all the fluffs. So I think what's really cool is like, look, uh, as you guys know, I live in the D.C. area. I've lived here most of my life. Shout out. Yeah, Corey lives in D.C. too. Like, I know for a fact that the government does not create jobs. I know that the government does not create value. <laughs> like, the government has a role to play. But it's not in value and job creation. What creates jobs is entrepreneurship, is innovation. That's what pushes things forward. So I'm, and that's why I struggle with like regulatory stuff. Like you need some for sure, but I want as few barriers as possible so that people with good ideas can start a business, can go out and create, have the opportunity to create value. I mean, that's the American dream if you want to get super patriotic about it, right? Go out and better yourself through your own hard work and what have you. Like, so now that we're having this like lowering of the barrier to raise money, I mean, 10 years ago, you had to be able to either have really rich family and friends, which a lot of people don't have. You had to have access to VCs, which a lot of people don't have. Now you can be a really talented developer, build a community of 3,000 people on Slack, do an ICO, for raise a couple million, and now you have a shot at it. That's huge. And now once you like, once you have like these DAO platforms like, you know, Aragon or Argon, was it? Aragon. Argon. Aragon. I can't, 
who's Aragon? Oh, that's the guys who do the ICOs, right? Aragon or Dowstack or some of these guys who are building these platforms. You're almost like decentralizing back office operations like SAP. So now you can have this global infrastructure for basically a fraction of the cost. You can raise money for a fraction of the cost. That's so empowering. Like, that's great. Like, the idea that you don't have to be connected or quote unquote privileged or have gone to a good school or whatever. If you're just a freaking good developer and you attract other good developers, now you have a shot at it. Man, that's freaking awesome. I, I'm so happy about that. It makes me want to cry. <laughs> that's definitely okay. kind of one of the things that I like. One of, that's one of the main motivators of why I got into this is the, is the technology of inclusion. It allows people, it, it's, it's allowing people to have access to the things that they haven't had access to since the beginning of time and gives them an ability to really gives them an opportunity to really do what they want to do and potentially build it out into a career and make an impactful change in the world without having to have the right types of connections. You can do it organically if people are aligned with what you're trying to do and you put in the work because it's going to be work. And think about it now, like you can be a kid from an underprivileged background, but everybody for the most part has you know, internet access, right? You can teach yourself to code on Code Academy or whatever. You can build all this stuff. You can create an ICO and you don't have to be like, like super, anyone can do it now. Like it's just, are you willing to put in the work? Like sometimes I get frustrated with my kids and they're like, oh, I have nothing to do. I'm like, nothing to do. You have the entire <laughs> world at your fingertips. Like it's sitting on the freaking iPad. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> like you can better yourself at every single moment of the day. Like I'm all for like entertainment time. I watch sports, whatever. But sometimes I get really like discouraged when I see people spending what I consider to be an excessive amount of time on like useless, what I consider, this is judgmental. So I apologize. Like too much time on Facebook or too much time playing games. But, like, Dude, you can go out and learn stuff. You can make yourself better, learn a skill. I don't care if it's like how to make sushi or how to write JavaScript, but there's it's all out there. Like, why don't you commit to learning? You don't need the formal education. Don't get me started on the education system in America. It's a disaster, but we'll leave that aside. <laughs> like, you can at any moment say, I'm going to go take, you know, the, a MOOC from one of the best professors on the planet about any topic. You used to have to pay $20,000 a year for that and pass the admissions. Now you can just sit at home in your pajamas and watch it on YouTube. Like, hello? Like, I'm literally bringing it to you on a silver platter and you're not taking it? Like, oh, that really troubles me. But if for those people who do, oh, it's so beautiful. I'm just, I love it. Pretty yeah. powerful stuff. Yeah, we got a powerful show uh, going on here today. Moments of silence, moments of silence to ponder. Yeah. <laughs> People listening. Was powerful, or you guys were like, Jeremy is just totally off his rocker. No. Nope. Oh no! Like I've been taking your thoughts and making little visuals for us. To... <laughs> oh, nice. You Not gonna show go on the show now? Yeah, for our no, for our, like our well, listeners. I really clung, I clung to that five wise thing, and I just kind of made a little visual here to like see it. how it filters down to what is our why. Okay. We got to have something right there. So well, you're always talking about our whys. So, yeah, so. like a twice a month conversation that we throw yeah. out there to each other. Like, hey, what are we doing here? You know, yeah, yeah what, what are we doing, doing here? here? Yeah. But um, I think that's yeah, I think that uh, that what you just said and coming off of that is a great way to kind of wrap this up. It's we're sitting around I don't know, 45 minutes or so right now. What are we going to call these shows? If we're going to be doing this once a month, we have to have something special, presentable, like 
just make it. Let's just Gotta turn be. this into its own its own podcast. Just you know, market wrap no. or something. <laughs> too much segregation. <laughs> too much work. Yeah. Too much yeah. like. Let's just why, why, why don't we ask show. your listeners if if we want to have like a monthly kind of like I don't know what you got like they've heard three of them now I, I think number two for us was probably our weakest if I had to guess number one was strong number two we were not quite on our A game but I think we came I back think, on number three I think just being all. honest you know look even even the Golden State Warriors and and LeBron has an off night on occasion it happens yeah, you know? I yeah. Think we, yeah. We, we were good we just didn't have like a triple double if we're Golden State. Uh, I'll snags on the guy that looks like a. I'll be the guy that looks like a computer software engineer, but can drain threes from like 50 feet behind the three-point arc. What's his name? Not Curry, but the other one. You're asking Clay, the wrong dude. Clay Thompson. Right <laughs> Clay Thompson. Yeah. yeah, Clay Thompson. I knew somebody would know. I just got. You want of all the people you want to be Clay Thompson? That yeah, you had first I, choice too. Look, just, the reason is is because I like to be underestimated. And uh, so they're like, who's this Who's this software engineer getting on the basketball court? And then by the time they figure <laughs> out I can make six out of nine three-pointers, it's too late. We've already uh, won the ball game. It's yeah, too you, late. Like <laughs> you, you lulled him into a false sense of complacency? Yeah. Just, That's good. Who's that guy? There's no way he can Michelle, ball. Michelle, I guess that makes you – who do you want to be, like Draymond? Or uh, you know, what are you thinking? Um, Durant, maybe? We all want to be Durant. I know. Let's, I gotta go with the obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You asked him. That's true. I said. Well, I, I, I hope, said myself. I hope this was another strong entry in the Epstein trilogy of episodes. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I feel good about it. You guys, I, I think we had a good, good little, uh, little four-way thing going on here that did not sound yeah. as good as I had originally thought. Yeah, I think, like, more, more, most importantly of all that, I think the listeners will get a good. Like they'll, they'll really enjoy listening to this episode and get a lot out of it based on what's currently happening and how to think about a lot of this stuff. Like I, I, I'd be more than happy to send yeah. this episode to a lot of the people who are now hitting me up all the time through my email and Facebook on what's going on with this space and why is it so important yeah. and so on and so forth. Like just listen to this, this episode and it'll give you a really good idea of what the point is, what people are trying to do. I agree. I like I like these episodes because a lot of people don't realize that when you are using this stuff, uh, you actually kind of become a walking billboard for this stuff because it's kind of so out there that it kind of forces you to learn a lot about it. And then even if some people are just in it for the money, there's always going to be a percentage of those people that are like, whoa, this is actually really, really interesting. So I, I got to dig deeper. And then they just become a walking billboard. Yeah, you know yeah. That's great. Well, I, well, I love hanging out with you guys. I'm, as, as hopefully there's value for your audience, and we should ask them yeah. to send their comments about why they listen, because I'd be curious. Um, yeah. and it's, it's you guys make me think through things, so I really appreciate the the value you provide me. All right, hit us with the comments, right boys and girls. That's right. Yeah, chime into the show. Like, oh, this usually works, right, Corey? If we do like hashtag Corey, last time is, was- the, is the best. Last time was hashtag Corey is the shit, and I got a lot of hashtags on that, despite me not thinking. Do people listen all the way to the end? Yeah, they do. Like, even after yeah. like ten minute rants on on random moistened toilet stuff, paper, moistened yeah, toilet paper. That was a weird one. We'll that was throw a weird out. One. I'll be like, no one's listening to this guy. So we wrap it up and be like, check this out, and we'll throw out a hashtag, and people then do it. And so it's. It's clearly I feel, like, I feel like if I were to get a hashtag, if I were to get a Twitter call out at this point in the show, 
I mean, I'd almost write a blog post just about whoever tweeted me. Like, I'm almost like that blown away. We've been talking, if, if people are out, I will actually, this is a, I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but what I will do is if people tweet out with your, whatever hashtag you guys want and they CC my JER979, and then assuming it's less than like 15, because if it's like 200, which would be amazing, like that would be too much. But like, <laughs> I would love to write like, 15 one-line tributes to each of these people and be like here's so and so who listened to it and here's why he listens to the bitcoin podcast we put together a little executive summary report and we link to their twitter profiles we give them a shout out and it'd be like a little thank you to the community if they're actually still listening right now which i highly doubt but i'm you get to you get to choose the hashtag i believe in our community you get to choose the hashtag oh wait check check hashtag i get to choose the hashtag i mean oh. i don't know i mean it, it, it's your show i could never choose that i already got the twitter call on jer979 so you guys get to choose that do we say hashtag jeremy is this shit no no nope. <laughs> gotta, gotta keep it no. fresh it's gotta be original gotta be fresh gotta, gotta be fresh. fresh hashtag this is why jeremy oh this kind of long this? Yeah, how about how about this is why? Yeah, hashtag this is why. Hashtag this is why. This is why. why. I like that. Okay, so you guys heard it. You're listening to the show, and you know, tell us why you listen. Uh, we'd love to know, and just put you know, tell us why, and put hashtag this is why. And CC me, so I see it. All right, CC, right give on. your Twitter handle one more time. Yeah, just in case uh, my Twitter is J E R. The number 979, J-E-R-979. That's a, like a 30-year-old story. I'll share it next time. So <laughs> J-E-R-979, this is why. And actually, this would be a great compliment to this show because I can write up, hey, here's what we heard from the listeners of the Bitcoin podcast about why they listen in order to help us. It'll be like a live exercise or homework or case study or whatever it is where like, we did a little market research real time. Community interaction. It's community interaction. Community. Yeah. Feedback on the community. I like it. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. The best. All right, Hot gentlemen. Damn. Hot damn. Have a wonderful <laughs> week. Thank you for the honor of letting me be on the show. No problem. Thank you. And thank, uh, nice to finally meet you. Yeah. I, I felt a void in my life, and now I understand why. <laughs> yes, still, that happens. That happens. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Have a good weekend, Jeremy. Thanks. You too, guys. And that was the interview with Jeremy. Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, we got to talking a little bit about us in that one and like how to monetize podcasts. Got a, got a little All bit kind. of the inside scoop of the Bitcoin podcast. Yeah, like we 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 definitely we're not going to make it a secret that this is something like two years ago we started building three years ago. Now we started building this. And we thought to ourselves, it'd be cool one day if we could just be like some sort of media source where, you know, people know us and we go talk to people because we're fans of their their work and what they do. And we just kind of present information because people have day jobs and they have things they have to do, but they could tap into us if they want to know, you know, what's the what. And be entertained at the same time. Yeah, and be entertained. Like you can learn about Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin and different cryptocurrencies and pre-moist and toilet paper at the same time. What is this? Where did this come from? You keep talking about this, this damn pre-moist and toilet paper. What, what are you because, talking about? Look, we got to 
when it happened because of the Voorhees episode. Remember, Cello was like, Vor- we had Voorhees on three years ago, and he was stupid rich then, but he's probably oh. stupid, uber, uber stupid rich now. And I was like, yeah, he has tweet? three voices. Do you paper. see his tweet? I did not see it. Oh, about the volume growth? Yeah. And just he's making fees off of that. Right? <laughs> he's getting to that itty bitty tiny shapeshift fee. Anytime I see a plan like Voorhees work, I instantly think Superman 2 and I think Office Space. Look at this. I'll, like, I'll read it out loud. Here's Shapeshift yeah, IO's growth thus far in USD equivalent volume 2014, 1,028% growth. 2015, 1,079% growth. So that's 1,079% growth after 2014 ridiculous growth, right? So that's, mm-hmm. it's like, this is, this is compounding itself. 2006, 2016, 491% growth. Okay. Maybe 2016 was a little bit of a dip, right? I don't know what happened to the tape shift back then. Well, that's probably when that, the hack happened, I think. Yeah, that's they got happened. hacked. Okay. That's, that's reasonable. Take a little dip. 2017, it's, it's 2017 and over guys, 1,322% growth. Oh my goodness! He like Jesus. <laughs> I'm gonna apply. I'm I'm gonna apply for a job at Chase Shift tomorrow. At least I know. At least I know. Like they're making money. Everybody's making money <laughs> in this space. Yeah, there is. I think if at this point I'm starting except to us. get a little angry with myself. <laughs> except us, right? We just except give us. the free stuff. Um, I, I I get a little angry with myself because I feel like I could be positioning myself for good good stuff in this industry i just uh, am too distracted with the real life but anyways that's a deep conversation i need to have with myself and in a glass and a in a, gla- a, a bottle of wine i told it we talked about this before yeah but so anyways we're getting a little off topic we wanted to talk about something very specific um so August 1st, right? There's going to be this user-activated software fork, soft fork, whatever. User-activated software. UASF. People are wearing hats. They got camo. People are getting it tattooed on their tongues. It's really weird, but I guess it's a good place to get a tattoo if you don't want people to see it, whatever. Um, You know, people are getting nipple rings, like from nip to nip, and it hangs down. You'll see, you know, user-activated soft fork. Gonna take their shirts off. It's getting real. And now Jihan, our favorite uh, miner from East, he said that um, he's going to use activated hardware, hard fork, not hardware fork, hard fork. And so somebody wrote in and they said, hey, can we talk about this? Can we get some details? Like, what's the difference? What does all this mean? So we're going to talk about it now. So, Corey, I'm going to give my probably dumb ignoramus explanation of what a soft fork is and a hard fork is. And then you come through and you back clean up and you bring it on home. Cool with that. All right. So my idea of a soft fork is like what happened up until recently in soft in the software industry where you could choose to update or you could choose to not update, but your stuff's probably still going to work and everything's going to be fine. And then every once in a blue moon, there was the hard fork that came out. And it was like that Windows XP update 2 point whatever, where it was like, everyone must have this or everything's going to stop working. And so you had to do that really hard update on all of your software and all of your firmware 
to make sure that your computer was going to continue to work. And that's my like ignoramus explanation. Like a soft fork, not everybody has to update. Everything will still keep working. Some people can choose to do the stuff. Some people can choose not to. But a hard fork to me is like if you don't make these changes, you can no longer partake in the fun. Kind of. Am I on base? Can you bring me yeah, home? Do we get two base. runs? I'm on yeah. base. So I guess the best way to look, we'll, we'll start with users, hard and soft work, and then I'll move into how to implement these types of things based on the community. Uh, a hard fork, to, it, start, it starts by thinking about how the rules change and what, if you don't change, like say if you don't update your software, whether or not you think the new rule set is still valid. So if you do a soft fork, then you're tightening the, 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 the rules, but still, like, so if you, if you look at the new rule set from the old rule sets perspective, it still seems valid, just more, just more strict. So the new rule set would be a circle inside of the old rule set so like it still validates all the rules of the old rule set it's just more strict that's a soft fork so that way as the new software starts pumping out new transactions and does things based on the new rule set the old rule set doesn't have to upgrade its software because it still sees those transactions as valid so it can just continue on as if nothing happens it just doesn't use any of the new functionality from the new software unless it updates, but it's not, it's still in the network. With the hard fork, it's, the, it's, the, it's flipped. It's the exact opposite. The new rule set adds some type of new functionality that the old rule set previously thought was, is, would consider invalid. So when the new software starts creating new transactions and uses that new functionality, the old software says that's not valid and rejects it. So in order to stay in the network, it is required to update its software in order to accept new transactions under you know, using these new functionalities. So if you do something that's like this cool new upgrade that is outside the scope of the old rules, that's a hard fork. That makes, does that make sense? I see what you're saying. So it's all about how the old software views the new software. The new software. If you constrain the rules, but still stay within the scope of the old rules, that's a soft fork. So they don't need to change. So one's backwards compatible and one's not? It's so forwards compatible. Not backwards forwards compatible. Forwards compatible. The one's not. Yeah. So if soft forks are forward compatible, hard forks are not. Yes. Is that easy? It depends on what you're trying to do. If you're adding new functionality, it's, it's more difficult. So you have to kind of do these, these tricky things that people come up with in order to make that stuff work. And there's some things inside of the, like, the way transactions are, are crafted to allow a lot of room. SegWit, segregated, segregated witness, allows for that type of you know, tricky maneuvering to make things softworks much, much, much more broad. So we can do a lot of other new things using segregated witness as a soft fork. 
I have a question. What? Not a question, more of like a thought exercise. And this is something I've been throwing around in the community a lot. And some people bite on it, some people don't. I've even said it between just our three conversations about things are not a zero-sum game. But people like to carry on as if they are. And deep down, I think we have a lot of intelligent people in the community, and they know the difference between a zero-sum game and a non-zero-sum game. What we're working in right now, because of the broad scope of something called mass adoption, it's not a zero-sum game. So what, why do, what, what would be so bad if there were like a segwit Bitcoin that could handle these ridiculously amazing applications apparently that could be layered atop of Bitcoin and then a not and then just a big block Bitcoin. That's just for whatever the fuck you would need to use big blocks on. Well, there's, there's... Just like there's an Ethereum classic and there's an Ethereum. It seems like those are getting along just fine. Ethereum classic is valued a lot less, but, well, but it seems like there's still say, some good work Ethereum classic is valued more than what the network was before it split. Yeah, Ethereum Classic is valued more than what regular, uh, the very first original Ethereum was, Ether was valued at. Uh, quite a bit more, actually. A lot more. So, well, it's, it's, well, is it just have a, a hard greed fork? factor? It, is it just a human greed factor where, hey, what if we do have a fork and there's a very viable SegWit 2 megabyte block coin that works just fine? There's layers, there's applications on it, yours network is on there, all kinds of fancy stuff is on there. But then we have this big block, what, like eight megabyte blocks or something, that network that runs parallel, and it's just as viable. That's not the way communities work, right? It's like the, the, the way Bitcoin gets its evaluation is because it's all one network. It's all it's all speaks the same language. It's a community of people all agreeing on the same asset. Now if yeah, but that's never going to happen. Man. That are supposed to be the exact, supposed to provide the same utility. Then, what's the point? Yes, but it's what, very unrealistic. Well, let's let's get it's... into like I want to talk about something else. Kind of like what 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 this the underlying reason for all of this stuff is, in my opinion, and other people's opinions. And this is something that Andreas, I'm kind of stealing from Andreas in terms of how he. And we talks about this, but it's definitely relevant and then people don't quite understand it, is that we've talked about soft forks and hard forks, but we haven't talked about how these things get implemented in the community because there is no leader. Up, up for a long time, everyone thinks that miners are the ones that change the protocol because they signal, they, they signal with their hashing power whether or not they support a certain protocol upgrade. And everyone thought that, or maybe everyone still thinks that the rest of the community is just waiting around for them to do the right thing or like do whatever they feel like is the right thing to do. So they have all the power in terms of changing the consensus rules for the network because they're the ones mining, but that's not the case. There's like Andreas says there's five constituencies of consensus. So there's five different sections, all with different incentivizations and roles of the entire community. And if you, you need all five to, well, you need three out of five in order to change the rules because they all rely on each other for various reasons. And that's, so you have miners, Ooh, you have five layers deep. Yeah, you have miners, businesses, and merchants. You have, um, exchanges, 
you have, let's see here, my mind is going blank for a moment. Miners, businesses, merchants, exchanges, wallets. Developers. And developers. Developers. Wallets and developers. And they all have different roles to play in all of this. And you need the support of the majority of those three out of five in order to make something happen. And in the past, we've always thought miners had all the, had all the control and the other four, four parts of the, of the community just were like along for the ride. And this user activated soft fork is saying, that's not the case. We're all just, cause miners are like basically not doing anything. And that's maybe because they don't want to do anything. According to Charlie Lee, like they have they have a business to run, and they want to optimize the business, and they don't care about protocol changes. Now you can argue whether or not that's true, but there's a there's an aspect of truth there. But the point is, you don't have to rely on them. The rest of the community can just say, "Well, we're crafting these transactions, and this is all we're going to use." So, miners, if you want to sell your transaction fees. You better follow along. Otherwise, we're just not going to accept what you're doing and only accept the ones that will do this. So they're not waiting for miners to signal and everyone else follows. They're making the miners follow based on the rest of the community doing it, which requires a lot of effort and a lot of agreement and a lot of trust that the people will do this because you can split the network, which is fine. I mean, splitting, it's going to, it's going to, take away a lot of price of a single Bitcoin because the community splits. So because the community splits onto two different chains, if that's the case, if it actually ends up with a hard fork and we've bifurcated our community. Well, then the price can there be an us. introduction of a stabilization factor? Like what? what are you talking about? I'm talking about like, okay, it, this is going to be a motion that, that, this is the market is just going to be I say this a lot, but it's just going to be a numerical representation of emotion at mass. So let's say a fork does happen. And things get bananas like there's going to be two Bitcoins going on. There's going to be Bitcoin. Let's just teach the model we already have Bitcoin classic and Bitcoin. Can there be since we've seen this happen before? Who in the community can provide that stabilization of the emotions of the fever? Like, because people are going to flip out. They're like, what's going on? There's two Bitcoins now. Just like now I have in my wallet, Ethereum Classic and, and Ethereum or Ether, I guess, Ether Classic and Ether. Or is it just there's no way to, to bring any sort of stable stableness to this? It's just going to be a shit show on August 1st. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That means it's gonna, we got a shit show. There's, 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 <laughs> there's more complicated factors associated with this, though, because if you do certain types of forks, so you do a user-activated soft fork, and you create basically a parallel blockchain, and the amount of work going into both of those blockchains is, is close. If eventually, we'll say the user-activated soft fork chain gets the majority of hashing power and then eventually produces a longer blockchain or more proof of work, 
the other blockchain will automatically reorganize to the user activated blockchain. And it will just basically disappear. Which means that there will be transactions that just disappear because the like the, the at, at the function the core functionality of the software is longest chain rule wins. And so if you have identical chains and one breaks out like one kind of separates and starts to do work as that gains ground, if it overtakes the old chain, the old chain ceases to exist. Whereas if you do hard forks, that's not the case. Because if that was the case, Ethereum Classic would never wouldn't be around. And so there's it, it's it's there's a lot of dynamics at play, and people are worried that if this stuff happens, we're going to lose a lot of the faith and confidence in the underlying asset of the currency, which means the price goes down. People sell. They move. Like there's places to go now in the crypto in the blockchain community that isn't Bitcoin. It's you're perfectly fine taking your money elsewhere. And that's that's a possibility that could happen. I don't think it's going to happen personally because we have so many people worried. Among other things, mm. but like so, the, the people that keep it's a very complicated situation. There is no one size fits all because there is no leader. It's an open development community with a lot of people at play for various reasons and a lot of and at the bottom line everyone's in it for themselves like everyone's properly incentivized to look out for themselves yet the network still maintains to exist and provide this service that's trustless and decentralized and open and inclusive so that's a that's that's a weird thing the everyone's look everyone's looking out for themselves I get that. Maybe that's why it's so ingrained in the community that everyone feels it is a zero sum game. No, I don't. I, there's there's more synergy associated with this type of stuff. I don't. I think it's. I don't think it's a zero sum game. It's not. There. But if everyone's looking out for themselves, then they're definitely not collaborating. They're definitely not cooperating well, if to it's, tackle. If it's one thing. within their benefit to collaborate and cooperate then they'll do it. Looking out for yourself doesn't mean not collaborating. It means only collaborating if it helps you. It's it's just finding, it's the, the key is finding ways to, you know, tide raises all ships type scenarios where you looking out for yourself is also helping somebody else. You don't have to fuck other people to, to make money for yourself. That's not the way this works. It's very true. And I guess the miners are softly cooperating to secure a network. Everyone's doing the same job, which adds hash power. Hmm. Stuff's deep, man. Stuff gets real deep real fast. You know, that's, um, why, that's why it's hard for people to get in the space. It's complicated. Hmm. I spent three hours talking about just the these the the core constituencies, these five constituencies, and the kind of game theory associated with their jockeying for position or trying to do something. And it's it's difficult because you have even outside influencers like the media, like us, talking about these types of things and what we go back forward, 
censored censored journalism, biased journalism. It's the narrative associated with all these things is really hard to find that isn't backed by somebody trying to push some ideology on you. We don't censor anything. We but, will. I yeah, am it, biased, though. Yeah, I will tell Roger still, Bear to yeah. his face that I that I'm not a fan of his activity in we're, the community. We're certainly not objective. We have our opinions, and we put them out there. That's why I don't think we're journalists. I will, I will say, Roger Ver, I'd like to challenge you to a game of Street Fighter Two, and I'd pick my best character, and I would beat his ass, and I would say, I'm gonna I'm gonna beat you 25 times in a row and make you cry. And I know no. you played this game when you were younger. What's funny is like he does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so do I. I'd love to roll with him. He'd destroy me because he's a brown belt. But still, oh man, I'd love to be I'd, on the sidelines. Even even though I don't personally like the way he does things in this space, that'd be fun. And I'd call you Johnny. Kick his ass, Johnny. Sweep the leg, no Johnny. Reason. Yeah, <laughs> sweep the leg, Johnny. That's what I'd say over and over again. And then I would give you some of that blinding powder from, uh, what was that movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme? Bloodsport? Yeah, Bloodsport. I'd give you some of that so you can keep it in your jockstrap and throw it in his eyes. Who wears a jockstrap? This isn't football. You, you don't wear jockstraps when you brew BJJ? No. What if somebody gets you with a BJJ knee to the NUTZs? Sometimes you get hit in the balls. You deal with what are you, so you just go get, you get calluses on your B-A-L-L-Zs? Learn to... Put yourself in better situations. I don't know. Some people use, like, like most competitors use cuffs. They make specialized shorts that have cuffs. Yeah, them. I mean, if you're that intensely scruffing around with somebody on the ground, your jibblies are going to be definitely at a risk. Yeah, I've, I've been, I've been neat a few times, kicked a few times. And for the ladies that are listening, like, if you do BJJ, then I know there's sensitive chesticle areas. Yeah, that's not, you don't like, that's got to hurt, right? I don't know. Like if I'm a lady and I'm going to town on some BJJ action and I catch an elbow to the chesticle, I feel like that would hurt. You're not throwing elbows. You don't throw elbows, but sometimes elbows get in places, man. That happens even in the most innocent things like lovemaking. Elbows get in places and you're like, what the fuck? How? What's the sharp? Oh, is your elbow? Why is your elbow there? And so in BJJ, I imagine it happens. Yeah, it happens. So, you get over it. Like the, the, I think that the main, that's way off topic, but the main benefit of doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is becoming comfortable being uncomfortable. Like you're, you're okay oh, way, of being in positions that are uncomfortable and you know when to, like how to panic and how to conduct yourselves in places where um, you're not comfortable. So it teaches you that kind of mentality of of just dealing with uncomfort and being okay with it and still making optimized decisions based on being in places like that. I'd li- I'd pay money to watch you BJJ with Roger Ver. I wouldn't pay money, but I'd do it. And by money, I mean fiat because I ain't spending my crypto. All right. Uh, I feel like that's a that's a nice diversion from what we talked about. Let me, let me wrap yeah, this up. Yeah, we, we need to probably need to wrap this up. All right. So you guys join the Slack. Go to the BitcoinPodcast.com. Uh, we do like this this trend that we've got going. So if there's something you'd like us to discuss, 
on next episode or later episodes. If it's an in-depth thing, maybe tag it somehow. Like, hey, can you guys look into no, this keeping, over time? We're keeping a log of this stuff. Yeah, we're overtaking the hashtag Corey is the shit, right? So if you if you got an idea or a topic you come across and you're like, hey, I don't really have the time to get into it, probably the Bitcoin podcast guys can or find somebody that could help them. You know, we could tap into the community, but we can get that topic understood for you. Uh, so tweet us, tweet at the BTC podcast with the hashtag Corey is the shit, and we'll talk about it. Um what else did we do? Uh, we got a blog uh, on Medium, medium.com slash the Bitcoin podcast, where you can see Corey does analyses on ICOs. I did some, I do a lot of hoorah type writing um, just because that's my writing style. So you can look at some of those old blogs. They're deep down there now. Um, I, one of them is pretty good where I refer to Bitcoin as like a zombie. I liked that one. That was a good one. Um, what else did we do? I don't know. Uh, Lots of stuff. We're actually talking Eric Voorhees into branding his own pre-moistened toilet paper. So be on the lookout for that. It'll be hitting your Costco shelves in 2019. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, here's one that's new. I played PlayStation 4 on Black Sauce underscore... 007, no, Black Sauce 007 underscore five. Um, it's a lot, but that's me. So if you see me on PlayStation, like usually anytime between, there's a small bracket of time between like Thursday and Sunday morning, and you want to play some video games with me, then you can. Um, I like a lot of fighting games. You don't and know I that. I play Dota. So if you play yeah. Dota, I'll play some Dota with you. Corey plays Dota, Dota 2, right? Not Dota 1. Yeah, Dota 2. And um, Cello plays one-player games. That's all. That's all. He doesn't. He doesn't like you guys. No, I'm kidding. He'll play multiplayer with you. I think you just gotta. I don't know his name. Oh yeah, Cello Man 85. So, anyways, Spam. that's new. Spam. Oh yeah, spam his shit. Like he'll love it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah, nah. Um, we'll play some games with you guys. I just got Injustice Two. I'm looking forward to it. Apparently, you can put armor on Superman because you know Superman needs armor, and so I'm really looking forward to that aspect of the game. Um, no, no, man. Superman needs armor. Protect him from things. I got time for that. Um. Other than that, Star Trek Beyond's on Amazon Prime now, so go watch that for free. And uh, I don't have anything else. Shout out to Zoe Saldana. She's actually in that movie, which is why I said that. Put it together now. Um, Play...